0: A motorsport podcast network production.
1: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Will Brown is the new leader of the supercars standings courtesy of a win and a sixth place from the two legs of the Townsville 500. That left him seven points ahead of Brody Kostecki while Anton Di Pasquale broke the Camaro winning streak with a first proper Gen 3 win for the Mustang on Sunday. Not that that quelled the parody talk with four drivers and teams still highly sceptical that the changes have improved rear tyre life. In Super 2, Kai Allen took a breakthrough first win in the category on the Saturday, while Zach Best won on Sunday, and Max Fedeau won two of the three Career Cup races, the other going to Alex Davison. Shane Van Gisbergen says his phone has been running hot since his shock NASCAR triumph as speculation that he will depart supercars at the end of this season intensifies. That's further fueled the silly season speculation, although it appears Cam Waters is heading towards opting for an extension with Tickford Racing for next season. Speaking of Tickford, the team is assessing its options for 2024 amid talk that it will scale back to two cars. Premier Racing has formally split with its team principal, Matt Cook. Team owner Peter Gibras has taken over the role for now. Dick Johnson Racing and Blanchard Racing Team are both assessing endurance wildcard programs after having applications approved by the Supercars Commission. And Thomas Randall will sport a new look on his Castrol Mustang for the remainder of the year as part of a global rebrand for our favourite oil maker. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate that is still trying to work out if the Townsville Burnout car is having a boy or a girl, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how are you this week?
0: Hello, Andrew. That was one of the quotes of the year from Will Davison, wasn't it? Describing Sunday's top 10 shootout as like a gender reveal party. I I didn't know where he was going with that initially, but um, I guess if there was pink and blue rubber on the track from the
1: Burnout cars, it's twins, right? Well, I guess so, and obviously quite timely with uh, with Will and Rihanna welcoming their first child on the eve of the Townsville 500. But yeah, I, I never thought I'd have the the words gender reveal in a top ten shootout qualifying report. It certainly made it click a little bit harder than a top ten report usually would. So I was um, I was pretty happy about that. But yeah, that was just fascinating, and like seeing the times in the 15s straight away, and every driver coming over saying, "What on earth has gone on?" with the track and Supercars definitely got on with sorting it because that uh that last burnout session the pre-race one was uh was canned very quickly I think before the end of the uh before the end of the shootout so yeah it was uh
0: yeah it was interesting mm. Yeah you could even see them struggling for grip in a straight line at the first couple of cars so amazing Do you know what the burnout
1: cars actually were did you see them Um, I don't know. There was obviously, there's the fleet of, uh, Repco's fleet with the C10 and a few things like that, that, Mm -hmm. um, that go around. And I think Matt Mingay had a couple of cars there. There was some Mazda, some Mazda ute sort of, uh, went past smelling of castor oil with its rotary engine off its head (laughs) at some point. Uh, while I was in the merch areas, I think that was out there doing something. I have no idea where they got blue and pink rubber from. Like that's, uh, that's definitely pretty impressive. Anyway, it was a fascinating weekend in the tropics for many other reasons as well. Let me tell you, Stefan, with plenty of tension around the paddock uh, for a range of reasons, which we'll run through now. The big talking point, of course, was parity and the new Ford Aero package. It was a talking point from Thursday onwards when teams started fitting the new wing uprights, gurneys and boot spoilers to the Mustangs. It was certainly a bigger change than even the Ford drivers were expecting to see a few of them were quite surprised at, at, at how sort of aggressive the changes were. Um, they were even more surprised when they rolled out in practice on Friday and experienced it for the first time. But, you know, back to Thursday, the Chevrolet teams were definitely pretty nervous. There were suggestions from some that had gone way too far the other way, um, but perhaps those fears were alleviated a little. Uh, over 24 hours later because a few of the Ford teams and drivers were very upset by Friday evening. Uh, Opinions generally range from it's exactly the same to it's much worse in terms of rear stability and tyre life. Now, Stefan, if you remember back to the initial announcement from Supercars um, about these changes being made, it referenced the width of the wing changing, but the width of the wing didn't end up changing. So a wider rear wing was trialled by DJR at the aero test at Queensland Raceway, but they decided against actually including it in this update package the wisdom of that decision was definitely being queried by a few outside of DJR on the Friday evening. Um, anyway, the complaints about rear tie life continued all weekend. There was plenty of evidence that there is, that that still is a massive area of concern for the Fords. We did of course see Anton Di Pasquale snap the Camaros winning streak, but even then it was one of two Fords in the top 12 and obviously helped a lot by the, the tie bank that he had after the electrical issue on this Saturday. The hope is, as Tim Edwards highlighted over the weekend, that teams just need to learn how to set the cars up for this new package. But I don't know, Stefan, there is not a lot of optimism in driver land about these changes. DJR is doing more parity testing this week. Um, Ford's preference is to have more drivers from other Ford teams involved this time uh, to to sort of work through some other potential changes. But um, given we're not going to see any sort of wind tunnel testing until at least the end of this year, I just really don't see how this ends at the moment, Stefan.
0: Well, I don't think it's going to end with a sudden eureka moment. It's just going to be a work in progress and a rolling brawl like we've seen as they try to get them closer and closer. And, you know, when you look back at at 2019, which is really the comparable season, it's not like they got there in one move then either. There were many aero tweaks during that. That season before, they ended up doing another homologation in the summer. So... This time, as we've talked about before, they've got two bushfires going because it's aero Mm -hmm. and engine, and there's still a lot of work going on with that Ford motor. Like on the track, the problem is very clear now, isn't it? Like the Fords blow their rear tyres off, they just overheat them over a run. But I still don't think everyone is on the same page as to why. And now they're preparing to move to a smaller throttle body on the Ford, which I believe yep. was tested before Townsville but couldn't be implemented in time. And that's something the supercars has wanted to do for a while. So they're, they're still working on that. And then you look ahead and you go, man, this the magnifying glass is going to be on the aero even more in the next couple of tracks because like Sydney and the Bend, they're much yeah. more aero circuits than Townsville.
1: Yep. Absolutely. The thing is, and this point came up a lot of times over the weekend, is that we're just in such a difficult spot because we probably do have, as supercars claims, better parity than we've ever had between the models. It probably is as close or better than it ever has been, but there is just nothing else that will influence results anymore because the cars are the same. You cannot engineer your way out of trouble anymore. And that's Generally, what happened, you know, before, as long as the cars were kind of in the ballpark of being the same, you had your good teams that would come up with solutions to make the cars race winners. You'd have your teams that weren't quite capable of doing that, and it would look like there was parity because as long as you had a couple of good Ford teams and a couple of good Holden teams, it all made sense. Now, I mean, the cars are exactly the same. And if you let a Carrera Cup team go and develop their own aero package and stuck it on a Carrera Cup car – they'd either be faster or slower than the rest of the Cup cars. It's very unlikely it would be exactly the same. Like it is just such a mountain facing supercars now. And, you know, everyone was talking about wind tunnels over the weekend and it probably is an inevitability. That's where we're going to have to go because we have taken all this engineering freedom away from the teams. The only way – the cars have to be identical and the only way to do that is going to be a full-scale wind tunnel program and even then – you know, you talk about the, the engine and stuff. Like if you can't engineer solutions elsewhere, the parity has to be – it can't be close. It can't be really, really close. It has to be perfect. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment.
0: Yeah, and even with a wind tunnel that's only one of three legs of the stool, like you still yep. want to be running your open-air testing and your CFD and correlate them all together. But um, the, the cars aren't the same. I mean the engine architecture is different when you look on that side of it as well. So – yeah. Yeah, it's, it's exactly all those things you say. And, and you do look backwards and you go, like, um, to your point, like when Triple Eight went from Ford to Holden all those years ago, FG to VE, the, they rolled out with their VEs and went, holy smokes, this thing is totally different. The aero balance, like, where's the front grip in this thing? Yeah. But it only took them... Until the first race, which they won in the Commodore to engineer their way around it. But, um, yeah, as you detail, they, they can't really – they don't have those tools anymore to, to go and design their own bits and problem solve. So, yes, we're in a new era and this is uh, this was inevitable really. We were talking about this before Newcastle that if anything is a little bit off, it is going to be a big stink.
1: Yeah. No, a tenth is much bigger than it ever was. And like I say, the parity probably is better than it's ever been, but it's also worse than it's ever been because the cars are the same. So it's a uh – It is a fascinating mountain that Supercars has to climb to try and sort out this issue. I reckon.
0: Maybe we saw the solution on the weekend. You just give all the Mustangs another set of tyres, because that's what it took. They're they're basically a set
1: of tyres behind when they go into a race. uh, You weren't in the paddock, but you clearly heard all the jokes that came out of it because that was definitely uh, that that concept was thrown around plenty of times. And some of that tyre
0: stuff is a bit um, self-fulfilling as well because we've seen like the tyre life on any car is a lot better when it's got clean air on the nose. Like even yeah. even a Will Brown car, which looked amazing by itself, was clearly struggling a bit when it's in traffic and the
1: fronts are heating up behind somebody else. So, Well, we can talk about what super guys is going to have to do about tyres at some point <laughs> on another day when there's not so much other stuff to get through because uh, – That is probably going to be an area that we're going to be talking about, I think, at some point in the not-too-distant future. Um, Let's move on to the reliability of these Gen 3 cars. Um, It was, you know, it was a big test in Townsville. The cars were having... A few issues in the difficult conditions, both in terms of the weather and ambient temperatures and the the track, the nature of the circuit. Um, Steering racks is just a real talking point at the moment. Like Tim Edwards told me on Sunday evening that they're junk, and, you know, that was a quote. Um, So, you know, that's something that needs to be sorted ASAP because it actually affects the racing product, right? Like these guys don't feel like you can go anywhere near another car without potentially blowing the rack out of the thing.
0: Yeah, there's obviously a few issues with components, I mean, the laundry list of things that went wrong on car six alone during Sunday's mm-hmm. race was pretty alarming yeah. that uh, that Tim rattled off afterwards. But if you were to rank the issues right now, I'd say parity is probably first and this steering rack is a pretty close second because yeah. there's a lot of teams who feel the racks just aren't good enough. And the steering rack seemed to be a challenge all the way through this program. Like they initially wanted to go down the electric power assist route, but they couldn't find a solution in right-hand drive and from there I believe 888 designed a hydraulic one but in the end the category went with an off-the-shelf version because it was cheaper and I'm sure there are some team preparation issues contributing to some things but there's certainly
1: a lot of evidence now to suggest the racks just aren't strong enough for this application. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what Tim said. They're not fit for purpose. Apparently, some of the bits out of them come out of a of like a commercial van or something like that, which is sort of um, oh dear. It doesn't it? Doesn't say, it? Just doesn't quite sound right. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that has to be has to be sorted because we want these guys to be able to race. The whole point of Gen Three was better racing, um, and you know, yeah, if you can't if you can't go and bash panels, then that's not going to be a fun product for anybody to sit down and watch. Um, Let's chat a bit about who did and didn't do the job in Townsville on the weekend, Stefan. I thought it was a nice little bounce back from Erebus after their form dipped just that tiny little bit in Darwin last time out. Of course, Brody did have that stinker on the Saturday in Townsville, which handed the series lead to Will Brown. There's just seven points between those two now and Brock and Giz are all within 72 points as well. So we really do have a tasty little title battle going on behind all of these Gen 3 issues and, potential NASCAR deals and whatever else is going on out there. Um, The AAA guys did pretty well across the weekend apart from qualifying on Sunday. Uh, I did wonder what the Americans that tuned in for the first time over the weekend would have thought about seeing this kind of beatable side to Shane Van Gisbergen after his Chicago heroics. Um, And, you know, what a timely win for Anton Di Pasquale as well after a tough start to the season for DJR, well, for DJR in general and for him in particular. Um, Who caught your eye good or bad over the Townsville weekend, Stefan?
0: Well, I had that exact same thought about whether any NASCAR guys had tuned in. I mean, the fact he said after the Chicago race that there were 10 drivers in supercars who could go and do what he did, it was yep. an incredibly humble thing for him to say, but it also ruffled a few feathers over there. And yep. uh, I reckon any of those NASCAR blokes who, yeah, tuned in for the race and saw that he qualified last may have had a heart attack. But yeah. um, in okay, terms Wait, wait of- until
1: this Jack LeBrock <laughs> bloke gets over here. Like, we won't
0: see which way he went. In terms of Townsville, like amid all the issues that we've spoken about, like it's a cracking championship battle, isn't it? Yeah. We've got four drivers separated by 72 points and two pretty intriguing teammate battles within that at Erebus and Triple Eight. And it's the old cliche of trying to minimise how bad your bad days are. Because just in Townsville alone, I mean, all four of those guys had to pull one out of the fire at some point. So full credit to Erebus, I think, for the work they did on Will's car and qualifying on Sunday morning to fix that power steering trauma during the session and then get him out. Like, that was critical for his day. And there's honestly, there's a bit of luck involved in all that stuff too. Like, if that issue had happened a couple of laps earlier, it actually happens towards the end of the Saturday race and he doesn't win it. Yep. It was just such a shame that Chaz had that issue on Sunday because he was actually sitting really nicely as a bit of a dark yeah. horse in the points up to that point and And now he's 243 behind, which uh, feels like a long way when they don't
1: have the pace sorted either. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You sort of referenced um, a couple of little teammate tussles there, Stefan, and you know how much I love a teammate <laughs> tussle. Um we saw a beauty between the Red Bull drivers in Sunday's race. Now, to sort of explain what happened, Shane Van Gisbergen passed Brock Feeney for fourth place with around 10 laps to go and was promptly informed over the radio that if he didn't get past Andre Heimgartner in third place, he'd have to give fourth place back to Brock. That seemed to catch Giz by surprise as he thought he had legitimately passed Brock by looking after his rear tyres better and didn't think he'd been let through. I spoke to Jamie up straight after the race and he said, It was a misunderstanding on Shane's part as the comms from Mark Dutton had been very clear. Um, This is a tough one without having access to the full comms, I guess. You know, if there was indeed a plan and Shane was told what it was before passing Brock, then sure, he should have to give the place back. But I don't know. Shane's reaction seemed to be one of genuine surprise of what was being asked of him. And the round win excuse that Jamie gave was kind of a weird one. Yeah, you know, he came over the radio and said, "No, we want Brock. You know, we want we want to claim the round win with Brock." I was actually with um, Beck Williams from the Herald Sun when we interviewed Jamie straight after the race, and she actually asked him if there was something she was missing with the round win, like is there other extra points or something? But she didn't quite understand, like where that, where that, not excuse, but where that idea had come from. Yeah, it was a really
0: curious one, and. The fact that so they told Shane that Brock needed the position to get the round win. Mm, And yeah, round wins haven't been officially awarded since two thousand and eight. And I don't pretend to know the specifics of Triple Eight's contracts, but there could be something there with monetary bonuses within the team being paid out on round wins. Like Triple yeah. Eight has traditionally been a team that uses bonuses a lot, whether that's sponsors like Red Bull paying more to the team for a Bathurst win, or staff getting a lower base pay and then rewards for polls and and wins and that type of thing. So that could be it. I'm not. I don't know that it is, but um, yeah, I think that aside, it was clearly a really tense situation that unfolded there. It was, it was ugly, and it just further feeds the notion that Shane won't be there next year. I mean, you floated that. You were the first to
1: float that a few months back and it could end up being the call of the year. Look, I'm becoming sure and sure that he's not going to be here next year as a Many many people in the paddock. You know, we know that he doesn't like the Gen three cars. He's been complaining about these handling niggles in his own car for two rounds now. Um, there was already a bit of tension between him and the team over how the single deal, uh, sorry, single year slash multi year deal was announced. We now have a bit more tension with the team, and another reason for shame to be unhappy here in Australia and here in supercars. And the outcome of that is that very very few people think that he's going to be here next season you know he's sort of played down any concrete offers despite saying his phone's been running hot but there's plenty of chat that he does have at least a couple of offers in the U.S. on the table for next year and you know based on the many many conversations over the weekend that I had with a lot of different people I'm really thinking that he will jet off at the end of this season.
0: Yeah it's feeling inevitable and I hope it happens for him because even just seeing yep. it from afar, like it was pretty obvious how happy he was in Chicago compared to Townsville. So it's definitely it's definitely time. Like if there's a full-time Cup Series right on the table for 2024, surely he's going to take it. And likewise, if he's available and you're a Cup team, you'd be looking at Shane as your ticket to the playoffs because one road course mm-hmm. win and you're effectively in, which is huge for any of those teams. So – it's kind of funny, actually, like Shane spoke in Chicago about how his NASCAR hero was always Tony Stewart. And it does look like Stuart Haas might have a spare seat if Eric Almirola retires. So it feels like a big stretch to be talking about him going straight to the Cup Series when he's not even done an oval race over there yet. But, you know, those NASCAR guys, they got a taste for how hard he works and the attention to detail he puts into his preparation as well. So I think he's shown that if anyone can come in and hit the ground running, it's, yeah, it's going to
1: be Shane Van Gisbergen. Yeah, there was a bit of chat that 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 Oval debut could come, you know, not next year but this year as well. You know, there's obviously a lot of talk about a few of the guys, you know, Brody doing the Indy Road Course event seems very, very close to a lock and, you know, Cam Waters is still working on trying to get over there potentially as soon as this year as well to try and do something. You know, he's made no secret the fact he sort of sees his future over there as well. But it's kind of – I think it would actually be a really good thing for supercars now if Shane did take that step because – it's it, it's a great feather in the cap for the series if guys can show they can just go over there and be competitive straight away and we should be trying to ride the sort of the positive PR wave of that having him sort of being grumpy in the supercars paddock and and you know isn't isn't as good a look any complaints he has about the car and the drivability of the car they are relevant and important and they should be you know, any advice he's got should definitely be heeded or at least considered by supercars. But if it's just a case of like a lack of motivation, then that sort of suddenly isn't a good look for the category. And it would be just better for him to be showing just how good these guys are on the world stage in NASCAR. So I sort of agree. I think it's the best thing from here. If he can get something together and get over there next year, that would be a really positive thing. Um,
0: yeah, exactly, and and we'll see what it means for the other guys as well. Because you'd hope yep. that Shane, having gone over and done that road course, you'd hope that that helps the likes of Brody and Cam to go and do some one offs. But uh, we'll see if the if the NASCAR attitude towards it changes at all. Because yeah, there was some some questioning. Oh, why did Shane get to do that little uh, little test day that he did beforehand, um, yep. and things like that. So uh, whether that affects Brody the other way could be interesting too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it all leads us nicely into some silly season chat. And there was plenty of that on the weekend in Townsville as well, let me tell you. Uh, Cam Waters is obviously at the middle of it all at the moment, you know, with the links to uh and Train United and Triple Eight now, should Van Gisbergen take off at the end of the season. Um, Waters has definitely been a target for WOU. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, And it makes sense that he'd be the first name on Jamie Winkup's list as well, you know, if they do need a driver next season. But as it stands, the smart money seems to be on Cam taking the single year extension at Tickford Racing. I think there's a flexibility there that suits him given he does have those desires, which he's made publicly very clear, to head to the States at some point rather than sort of committing to what you know, you would imagine would be a multi-year agreement if you're gonna if a team's gonna go to the effort of um of you know making you the big money offer and all that sort of stuff. So if that does prove to be the case and Cam does stay at Tickford next year, there's a few teams that are very interestingly placed. You know, if Giz goes, Triple Eight needs a driver. And if it's not Cam, who is it? You know, does Richie Stanaway get his shot after all? And does this press WOU into action on Ryan Wood should they want to make a change for car two for next year? It's pretty fascinating, right, Stefan?
0: Oh, it is. It's the classic case of what once seemed like a straightforward silly season becoming yep. one of the most intriguing ever. And yeah, triple eight seats don't come up very often and they're in a different space to what they've been in previously because they've always tried to go a decent step younger with their next signing, staggering the age gaps, whether that was Lowndes to Winkup, Up to Van Gisburg and Van Gisburg and Feeney, but that can't happen in the same way this time. And- Cam would have given them a great age offset the other way because he is eight years older than Brock, but it certainly does sound like Cam's more likely now to stay at Tickford, and there's obviously plenty brewing at Tickford as well, like with this talk that they could trim down to two cars.
1: What are you hearing about that? Yeah, well, look, it was pretty clear from the Paddock chat on the weekend that... It is Tigford that's considering taking supercars up on its TRC buyback scheme to help hit that magic number 24. Um, Tim Edwards said on Sunday night, you know, no decisions have been made, but he did concede to myself and our colleague Connor O'Brien that the four-car model is being evaluated for next season. Um, We covered this offer, you know, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. You know, Supercars wants a 24-car grid for for a number of reasons and is offering to buy TRCs or two TRCs so that it can sell one to BRT and shelve the other one. Turns out the initial numbers that were being reported were a little wide of the mark, and the six million on offer is probably closer to maybe two million at best. Uh, a number of team owners did say that at six million, they'd happily hand their TRCs back immediately. But yeah, if if Waters does stay at Tickford, as it appears he will do, it could very well be a three into one scenario there for the second car next season.
0: Well, it's almost four into one because not only is there Thomas Randall James Courtney and Declan Fraser, but they've got Zach Best there there in the background yep. as well who's uh, doing everything he can to try to get a full-time seat. So, yeah, they've got plenty of drivers, but uh, I'm sure the drivers aren't really the first consideration in terms of how they structure this team going forward. Like Tickford will be okay. looking at their business model and how it's working now under... Gen 3 it's it's interesting that they've launched this tickfit engineering trying to find opportunities yep. to utilize their manufacturing capacity elsewhere in in automotive and, and other industries as well like they've they've come and announced that and they've tried to ramp up some drive development stuff in the background there too so yeah clearly they're evolving what they do and how they do it and and this stuff would be on cam's mind as well in terms yep. of what does that team need to change to be better and is two cars actually going to make this this better? It could, but right. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked before about the fact that in an ideal world, a four-car model is fantastic. You've got four sets of data, more engineers, more drivers, all of that. But it's such a difficult thing to resource properly and manage properly as well. And yeah, I, I think there's yeah there's. Plenty of evidence there to suggest that, that four cars is actually more of a drain and, and you wouldn't ideally want that, but um, they've they've been
1: structured that way um, for quite a while now. I mean, if you're sort of crystal balled and you said you've got Cam Waters on one side of the garage and then you've got, you know, if Castrol, you know, continue their deal and you've got Tommy Randall in the other car on the other side of the garage, that's a great opportunity for for Tom to really step up his game against someone like cam and you know potentially a pretty well focused and, and strong lineup because particularly qualifying pace like Tommy's been quick a couple of times this year
0: yeah it'd certainly feel like a shame given the flashes that we've seen if Thomas was to not be at Tifford next year because there's definitely clearly a lot of potential there in Thomas he can certainly pull a lap out of it.
1: Absolutely. While we're on the topic of driver deals, let's have a chat about the wildcarts that have been approved by the Supercars Commission for the Enduros. Both DJR and BRT have been greenlit to run an additional car at Sandown and Bathurst. To facilitate that, the Commission has also approved a tweak to the super license requirements instead of all non-gold rated drivers needing to make six Super 2 round starts to qualify. That drops to three if the driver finished in the top three in either Carrera Cup or Super 3 the previous season. That change will allow 2022 Super 3 runner-up Kai Allen to drive the DJR wildcard and Carrera Cup runner-up Aaron Love to suit up for BRT. For the latter, a combination with Tim Blanchard seems to be the likeliest outcome, which means the team will need someone else to partner with Todd Hazelwood. Uh, Stefan, these immense young talents getting this potential shot is great news as far as I'm concerned, and I couldn't be in more support of it. But I guess it does show how our favorite super license system can suddenly be quite flexible when supercars wants it to be.
0: Yeah. What can you say about this? Like. It's hard not to be a bit cynical about what Supercars does in this space, but at least on this occasion, it does create a great outcome, and that's having two yep. really talented young kids get a go in Australia's great race. Like the prospect of DJR and, and Blanchard's running wild cards is just, it's a great news story, and there's plenty of intrigue now around whether one or both are going to run an international co-driver alongside those young blokes as
1: well. That will definitely be a space worth watching, I reckon. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Max Verstappen won the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, while McLaren showed signs of great improvement, with Lando Norris finishing second and Oscar Piastri fourth. Lewis Hamilton completed the podium. Toyota trio Mike Conway, Jose Maria Lopez, and Kamui Kobayashi won the World Endurance Championship round at Monza, while across the pond, Tom Blomqvist and Colin Brown won the IMSA race at Mosport for Acura. At the Norris Ring, Sheldon Vanderlinder and Thomas Prining shared the DTM wins, and William Byron won a rain-shortened NASCAR Cup Series race in Atlanta. Uh, Stefan, circling back to F1 just for one second, the McLaren boys have been pretty cautious with their predictions off the back of that pretty sensational outing at Silverstone. You know, they're talking about how the the, the track layout, the weather conditions, everything sort of played into their hands. But this update does seem uh, kind of promising, right? Oh,
0: absolutely. It was, it was amazing to see them all of a sudden have the second quickest car there behind yep. Red Bull and... Oscar did everything right as well. Like He Mm. would have been on the podium if not for the timing of that safety car. So, yes, McLaren are a bit cautious about the speed. Was it track-specific? We'll see. But I think what's been proven for sure is that Oscar is the real deal and the team would have already known that and I think a lot of us felt that too. But to the outside world, this really justifies what went on last
1: year to get him in at McLaren. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Braden McKay asks, do you boys think that the Gen 3 cars will even go the distance at Bathurst with the issues with steering racks and all that sort of stuff? Well, yeah, I don't know. I've never tried to drive a VW Combi around uh, around Bathurst for 1,000 Ks and see if the steering rack holds in there. What do you reckon, Stefan?
0: Oh, yeah, there's a big question on the reliability side with a few components at the moment, but when you're talking about things like steering racks, I'd say that's a question mark for Sandown as much mm-hmm. as Bathurst. Like clearly, yeah. the race is half the length, but when you look at the loads, it's it's a different challenge. Like Sandown is about big curb strikes, where Bathurst has that higher mid corner load. So yeah, I think teams will be sweating a bit on both long races the way it's looking at the moment.
1: Absolutely. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. I'm going to give mine to Jack Miller, the KTM MotoGP star, made a surprise appearance on home soil in Townsville on Friday evening and went for a burn alongside Shane Van Gisbergen in his Camaro. Uh, Jack's old man Pete did that as well, and they both absolutely loved it. Jack was very impressed with Shane's footwork, which seems to be a bit of a theme at the moment. Uh, He's a legend, is Jack, and it was cool to see him at a supercars race, so he gets my star this time around. Stefan, who gets your Castrol star?
0: Yeah, Shane doesn't like people uh, talking about his feet, so uh, I hope uh, Jack uh, didn't offend him there. But uh, I think I've really already revealed my Castrol star. I'm going with Piastri. It was just so great to see him in a competitive car, and Formula 1 races are just that bit more
1: exciting when there's an Aussie up the front. Very good point and very well made. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News.